Hey there, it's Charlie O'Shields back with another episode of Sketching Stuff. For this episode, I pulled together what seemed at first like a random bit of stories, but there's still a lovely theme there. As most of you know, but it might bear repeating if not, these are posts that have appeared on my blog at doodlewash.com. I call them rambles because they are written in the moment and without any editing. So the topics tend to bounce all over the place, but sometimes there's a few posts that stand out a bit more. I select posts based on the reaction from those who read them, so if you also read my posts, then thanks for helping make this podcast possible. Previously, I've changed the opening to past tense but in some cases a post was written in a way that doesn't make it possible. For example, there's a segment in this episode where I talk about just returning from Paris, but that actually happened last year. Rather than skip those particular posts, I'm including some anyway, as many liked the story that appeared. And it's personally fun to go back and read those stories again for the first time in a long time. So many things and thoughts have occurred to me on this lovely art journey. So join me for another time-bending trip through a series of stories that happened while sketching lovely life. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Big Wheel, Big Dreams. Today I was running late most of the day, and by the time I got home from work I was thoroughly exhausted. I hadn't sketched anything yet and had less time to sketch than usual. My adult mind told me to just forget it already and try it again tomorrow. But as you know, I don't like to listen to that buzzkill voice in my brain. So what did I do? Well, I put down my precious fountain pen and handed a sharpie pen and some paints to my inner child and told him to go out and play. This is what he made really quickly before I even had a chance to ask him why. Once I saw what appeared, however, I realized that though I thought that I'd sketched all of my bicycles as a kid, I forgot my very first set of wheels. It wasn't a bicycle, but something called a big wheel, due to the large wheel in the front, I presume. Being only a few inches from the ground, this was the ideal ride for kids who hadn't even started school yet, and proof that my inner child is apparently only preschool age. But I remember that age well because everything I did was amazing. Nothing was judged, simply applauded, and met with a sea of smiles from friends and family. That kid didn't have any fear of failure and could do anything with perfection. Well, yeah, not perfect, but perfectly wonderful to those who cared about him, and that's all that mattered at the time. To be honest, I've been struggling a bit lately to keep up with all of the projects I have going. I have a say-yes attitude that often gets me into a bit of a pickle at times, but it's the same attitude I had as a kid. Back then, I wasn't about saying yes, it was simply a matter of thinking, why not? And though I can find myself a little stretched for time and feeling the horrible tingle of stress start to creep upon me, I just think back to what a kid would have done. Each time I do, I realize I don't have anything to feel stressed about at all. You see, he didn't have any stress because he wasn't worried about what others might think. That extra layer came much later, and in many ways it only served to slow down what was once a fiercely fearless artistic mind. As in it, impossible as it sounds, there was once a time when we didn't worry so much, if at all. Instead, that time was simply spent wondering and exploring things while enjoying whatever happened in the moment. 
I often look back nostalgically as if those magical days were in the past, but I do everything in my power to make darn certain those days are still happening in my present. And as a creative people know, which is all of us, much of the time we aren't really comparing ourselves to others, but to ourselves. This is easy to do with social media where you can actually see the reaction to what you're making each and every day. One post soars to the top and then the next feels like you can actually hear crickets chirping. Never fear though, it's simply a robotic algorithm at play. So at worst, you failed to make a robot happy. Unless that was indeed your goal, you are still successful because you've made lots of actual people happy, which I humbly think is always the best goal of all. And my own approach for my daily offerings has been to create a sort of secret society. As proof, my own posts are the least read posts on doodlewash.com. <laughs> Outside of my podcast, which introduced some of my posts to a whole new audience. I guess at heart, I'm still just that little kid who prefers to build a clubhouse and invite my friends over for a little fun, creative play and conversation. I didn't have grand plans as a kid and I don't really have them now. In many ways, I'm still just living in that blissful time when I had a big wheel and big dreams. Elephant Appreciation Day. Today I'm running a bit behind as we have friends over early this evening and I hadn't sketched anything yet. I asked them to forgive me a few short minutes while I scrawled a quick little two-color doodle wash to celebrate Elephant Appreciation Day. It's lovely to have friends who know you well enough that they don't even bat an eye or question something as ridiculous as that. We then had a bit of pizza and I'm now back at the computer for a moment to make a post before heading to bed. I rather love elephants and I think they're incredibly awesome animals, so I'm happy that they get their own day to be celebrated and appreciated. Today was a bit of an animal toss-up, as it was also World Rhino Day, as well as International Rabbit Day. But since elephants are the world's largest land mammal, I figured they deserve their place in the sun. Actually, their trunk alone can weigh over 400 pounds, so that's rather impressive. Just like an artist preferring one hand over another, elephants are right-tusked or left-tusked, favoring one tusk over the other, causing it to become shorter over time. Thankfully, this doesn't happen with our hands. And though elephants have the largest brain in the animal kingdom, it's still not quite as large as humans when compared to their overall body weight. But they still have a highly developed brain and are rather smart. As a kid, I adored them most of all the animals because of their sheer size made them practically epic. It was amazing to see one at the zoo, especially when I was much smaller and they seemed even larger. Way back then, before it was deemed inappropriate to do so, I was able to take a ride on an elephant with my mother. She still talks about how unexpectedly bumpy and precarious the ride was, though I was too young to remember it properly. What I remember instead was the smell of the elephant, a rather harsh and earthy smell that burned my nostrils a bit. I far preferred simply viewing them from the ground so I could see them properly. Once I was certain that one of them caught my eye and we were having a silent conversation, this was probably not the case, but my imagination, then and now, was always on overdrive. 
I learned as a kid that elephants actually have terribly poor digestion that runs at only half efficiency. This fact was only interesting to a kid because it means they fart a lot, releasing an extraordinary amount of methane throughout the day. Not a particularly wonderful fact to remember, but that's just how kids think. What's more important about elephants is that they are highly affectionate and caring creatures. If a baby is in trouble or complaining a bit about something, the entire family will rush to its rescue and touch or caress it to make it feel better. That, as an adult, is the fact that makes me smile most of all. And I love these creatures so much. Despite our superior brains, we're not the only animals on the planet who can experience the beautiful effects of love and caring. This pure instinct is one of the best possible traits that any living being can hope to possess. So it's with much love and respect that I take a moment to raise a glass to this thoughtful creature as I humbly and quickly celebrate Elephant Appreciation Day. Like a little hamster. Today I'm still a bit jet-lagged from our Paris trip, and it feels much later to me than it actually is today. I keep looking at the clock thinking it's late, and I'm surprised to find out the actual time is much earlier. Philippe and I have been trying to get things done around the house, so stopping for a moment to sketch a little hamster was really a treat. I've got so many things to catch up on after being gone for two weeks, but I'm still feeling a bit lazy and in vacation mode. It's like a hamster standing and waiting to decide whether to jump back on the wheel or just burrow into some wood chips for a lovely nap. In this moment, the latter definitely sounds more appealing. Yet I'm still very happy to be home again and reunited with our dog, Phineas. He had lots to tell us when we picked him up, squealing, howling, and yodeling as Basenjis do, while trying to tell us something. I've no doubt he was telling us off for leaving him for so long, but we instead like to imagine he was just telling us all about the fun things he did at camp. Though he initially had lots of energy and excitedly ran around the house in circles, he's now just as exhausted as we are and curled up on the couch, quietly snoring. As slow as time has gone, I've not managed to get much done today. I was doing fine all morning, but my afternoon, I felt like I was floating in a fog. Then I felt like something zoomed out of that fog and crashed into me. Yep, I keep scurrying about, sort of unpacking my suitcase, then getting distracted by something else that needs doing. The end result is that nothing is totally completed, but I'm so happy to be home again that I don't really mind. Philippe and I are listening to music and having a glass of champagne to celebrate our return. At least that's the excuse we used when we opened the near-empty refrigerator to find a bottle sitting there. It's the quietest and most low-key celebration as two introverts silently recharge after two full weeks of constant interaction. If anyone wonders how I had time to paint during the trip, it was actually easy and extremely necessary. Without making that little painting break, I would have collapsed into exhaustion. It was a perfect way to escape into my own little world for a moment so I could return refreshed and ready to enjoy friends and family. Before I formed this little painting habit, I would often find myself not taking little breaks to recharge. I would get irritated and grumpy without realizing why. 
As it turns out, as much as I love social interaction, I give my actual energy from within. Sketching has become the perfect way to power up and makes me incredibly happy each time I complete a little doodle wash. This is the wonderful thing about art, no matter what form it takes. You can go to a place that's all your own for a little break in the day and then return and share that place with others. It's how a shy introvert like myself has found a way to be extremely social. And when it comes to holding my focus, creating something is still the only thing that seems to work. I was perfectly reminded today that household chores are not something that holds my interest at all. I was feeling a bit guilty seeing my suitcase still sitting on the floor when I noticed Philippe's suitcase sitting next to it, still only half unpacked. It's good to have differences in a relationship, but similarities can be quite comforting. That feeling of knowing I'm with exactly the right person, someone who loves me just the way I am, even if I tend to approach my life like a little hamster. Owls and Other Stories When met with a doodle wash prompt a barn, I only thought of various animals and living creatures that I encountered on my grandparents' farm. I first considered painting a goat, as I really loved them, especially the babies, but I ended up with a barn owl instead. These are wildly strange and beautiful creatures made to precisely mimic the wooden surroundings they are hiding in. And though there were many animals I experienced in the various barns on the farm during my visits, the owl somehow still managed to be the one in charge of things. I'm not sure why really, but that somehow innocent face combined with the inside and talons of a pure predator made it the most intriguing creature in the mix. But yeah, I still think that goats were my favorite, but I will always have a profound respect for that creature in the barn. What I miss most about being an adult now is that I don't have a farm visit anymore. Though owls will occasionally make their home outside our window, I'm missing the cows, goats, chickens, and pigs. But perhaps what I miss even more is the escape that a farm provides. I live in the city, and though it's not quite yet the dense concrete jungle of larger cities, it's certainly heading in that direction. The term concrete jungle always makes me giggle, as most things in America today are all created on the cheap now, so no new structures are never really built of sturdy concrete. They're instead built about of a lot of cheap wood, fewer nails, and bits of hope. There's a large complex of new apartments going up near us and we watch the progress while taking our dog Phineas on walks. It reminds me of the story of the three little pigs each time we pass it. I'm rather certain that the house built of sticks isn't the winner in that particular story. It strikes me that nearly everything in life these days is built to last only a small amount of time. Something better and more whatever will surely come to replace it in the future. Perhaps that's why I often gravitate towards living things and other odd items that have managed to survive over the years. I like life best with a bit of lineage, a past that can connect with the present to create the full story. Though I adore experiencing all of the new that the world has to offer, I experience it for what it is in the moment. I'll have to wait 20 years or so from now to decide if those things are still fascinating or even worthy of discussion. Most will become forgotten relics, but some things will become timeless and wonderful. It's impossible sometimes in the moment to tell which things will achieve such grandeur. 
Yet the natural world remains ever fascinating to me. In many ways, it's never really changed that much over time, yet still holds so many unanswered questions. Each time I hear an owl hooting in the distance, I'm transported back to the barn in the middle of nature and all of its vastness. A place where I didn't have to worry about the demands of my so-called modern life and could just relax in the exquisite joy of owls and other stories. Like a prickly pear. There was a time years ago when I visited San Antonio, Texas, and was treated to a prickly pear martini. I knew that these were those strange little things on the end of a cactus, but didn't even realize they were edible. As it turned out, the martini was not only delicious, but was one of those purple pink ones that made the color an otherworldly shade. I opted for the sunnier yellow, orange, and green version for the doodle wash I made as I'm still trying to ward off the actual winter here. But the glittery lights of San Antonio's Riverwalk certainly added to the magic and made that drink actually glow like a lava lamp. It was a wonderful memory indeed, although I can't remember much else about the trip other than a quick visit to the Alamo and the extreme heat. I've not even had a martini in years. Perhaps there could never be one to compare to that one. And mostly because I just like wine much better. I would later learn that the prickly pear cactus is both a fruit and a vegetable, and both bits are edible. Though I didn't leave San Antonio with the thought of adding a lot of cactus to my diet, I did end up enjoying it in many other versions. Most notably, the various dishes served in Mexican restaurants. Every version was indeed delicious, so it's no wonder this plant has such a precarious and barbed defense mechanism. This, of course, caused my mind to leap in a completely different direction. I got to thinking about my own defense mechanisms and the things that I do in an effort to protect myself. Some are good, like avoiding too much sugar in my diet or carrying a small bottle of disinfectant around during the winter like it's a pocket pistol. But I have to admit that others are a bit questionable. When it comes to my daily sketching, I tend to avoid certain subjects and will even reinterpret my own prompts a bit to sketch something else entirely. Today, when met with a prompt of cactus, I almost came up with something else. I didn't have anything against the plant, it's just that I worry that I can't make it look interesting. The spiny bits are definitely in my wheelhouse, but the softer flowery bits cause me to be a bit shy. My style isn't soft or gentle. It's mostly about high contrast and graphic lines. In many ways, I'm a sketcher first and foremost, and my adoration for watercolor came from the wonderful pairing of the two, something I call a doodle wash. I adore the style of pure watercolor paintings, but it's just not something I enjoy doing on a regular basis, which is a lot to admit when you're the guy who founded World Watercolor Month. But what I love about this and all paint mediums is that as an artist, you get to choose how you use it and find the way that personally works best. That's the idea anyway, but sure, there are purists out there who deem anything other than a pure watercolor to be something of secondary worth. Purists, to me, are the biggest buzzkill one can ever encounter in any endeavor, as they always threaten to suck the creativity and fun right out of things. Yet still, I get it. Watercolor is unique and wonderful on its own, and using it that way can produce some of the most stunning and incredible works we can imagine. 
I feature tons of artists on doodlewash.com who can do amazing things with watercolor and have so much to teach us. What I've learned is that even if you don't paint like a particular artist, there is still much to learn from them. And it's always good to attempt every technique or approach that you find and jump outside of your comfort zone. But when you find your fit and style that works best, I always think there's merit in chasing after it. I continue to play, but I've learned the methods that bring me the most joy. These days, I just keep pushing myself to use that style on subjects I would normally avoid, to lower my own defense mechanisms just a bit, so I avoid approaching each little sketch like a prickly pear. Pirate Adventure. For a prompt of sailing once, I wasn't motivated to sketch a sailboat at first, so I thought about reinterpreting the meaning of the prompt, as I'm often prone to do. As I was about to give up, the idea of pirates popped to my mind, mostly due to that little boy inside, but I was far more inspired. I've only sketched a handful of boats in my life, and they're not really my normal subject matter, so attempting to scribble an entire pirate ship was a bit more of an adventure. It was super fun in the end, and I'm glad I pushed myself to try something a little different. I liked stories with pirates when I was a kid, but mostly because they were all about the swashbuckling, family-friendly stories that omitted all of the truly horrible aspects, beyond the occasional bit of scurvy. But there was no doubting that pirates were the villains in the story, yet that made them the most interesting. Long John Silver from Treasure Island was certainly the most interesting character in that book, although it's rather easy to stand out with a peg leg and a parrot. As a kid, I didn't want to actually be a bad person, but pirates got all of the best lines in the stories, so I did eventually want to play one on TV. As it happened, I never became a television actor, and though I did stage plays for a time, I never got to be a pirate. I did get to play D'Artagnan once in The Three Musketeers and learned a bit of fencing and swordplay for the role, so that was pretty cool. But I remember none of it today, of course, so I now live in secret hope that nobody ever challenges me to a duel. Thinking back, I do think there was definitely a moment as a kid when I thought being a pirate would be cool. They seemed so free and able to do anything they liked, including breaking a lot of rules. As I got older, I realized that the freedom to sail the open seas did indeed come with scurvy, so the whole prospect of actually being a pirate became much less alluring. But sometimes, I still find myself enjoying bending and breaking rules a bit. None of the golden ones that make us human, but the silly ones that were written by others before I got a chance to weigh in myself. For some reason, painting with watercolor seems to come with a lot of rules, for example. And I do break many of them, but I learned all of the rules first. I think it's important to know and try following the rules before taking the pirate's path. Yet once you feel confident in doing something the right way, then it's time to travel a bit and visit someplace new. When I started sketching and painting, I was actually in between jobs, so I had two full months where I had a few hours to paint each day. 
Then I started my new job and found myself with only 30 to 45 minutes per day. So I first tried a little A6 sketchbook to keep things quick and small, but that felt a bit too constraining after a while. Then I switched to my current A5 sketchbook, which I love most. Instead of worrying about trying to dutifully set aside hours to practice techniques, I looked inward and realized what Dorothy realizes at the end of The Wizard of Oz. I had the power all along to come home. And home in this case is simply going back to the beginning to when I was a child. Each time I sit down to make something, I don't worry about following any one technique or set of rules. I just scribble doodle color like I did back then. Little Charlie knows exactly how to draw and color a pirate ship, after all, so I just let him. Granted, his adult self has been sketching every day now for over four years and has a lot more practice. The combo is a magical thing indeed. And though it sort of defies the rule of always trying to move forward, it's often an even better thing to move backward and experience the true thrill of a pirate adventure. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories.